0: morning church. I'm so glad again that we're uh, able to gather here together this morning as we continue our our study in Ephesians. So um, and thank you Aaron for reading for us this morning. Um, so we started this is our third sermon as we as we're slowly walking through the book of Ephesians and uh, is anyone hearing that word slowly with me? So the first week we did two verses second week we did two verses today we're doing two verses okay two verses. So so, of course, the reason we do that here at Refuge, it is of high importance for us that we walk through the Scriptures. That's what, that's what we feel like our job is to do. Our job as pastors here at Refuge is to do this, to open up Scripture and do this, point to Scripture. Our job is to show you what God has already revealed to us. Because guess what, y'all? He did a really good job. Okay, he doesn't need my help, okay? He doesn't need So what my job is is to simply show you, maybe in some other ways, to, to explain the Scriptures to you, to, to, to teach what God has already revealed to us, Okay? So that's what our job is to do. And so we've done that through Genesis. we spent quite a long time in Genesis walking verse by verse. But of course, we have a little bit of differences, right? We have an Old Testament narrative, which has sweeping epic narratives, right? We have like Noah and the Ark. We have the Garden of Eden. Not, not in that order, of course. But, and we have uh, Joseph and his sweet dream coat, right? We have all these really cool things, right? We have, uh, did I say dream coat? I'm, I got Broadway mixed up in that a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, we have lots of really cool stories. So in the Old Testament, it doesn't make sense for us to take small verses at a time most of the time. But when we get to a really dense, amazing book, an epistle like Ephesians, we got to take it slow because there is so much jam-packed into every, sometimes words within this, uh, within this letter that uh, Paul has written to, to this church. So I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. If you haven't yet, I have in my notes ESV journal plug. Uh, we have uh, these uh, out there by the, um, by the, on the kids' desk. We have these ESV journals, which are great. They're available for $5 a piece, and we have them in two different flavors. We have the illuminated version, the pretty version. That's what I like. We also have just a standard version with lines in there. Uh, but it's great because how it works is we have Scripture on one side and a journal, play, a blank page on the other side so you can take notes. And it's just, uh, just the book of Ephesians here. So, uh, so you can grab one of those on your way out if you like. Uh, but you can go and open up to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be sitting in verses 5 and 6. So what I want to do before we get there is, because again, we know that we have talked a lot about this. We spent a lot of time slowly walking through a lot of this. Uh, I want to get us caught up to where we are uh, here in Ephesians. So uh, the first verses we had: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here and what uh, Pastor Scott helped us see is, Uh, apostle paul is setting the stage for what this letter is and where he is who he's writing it to and we see that he's writing the letter to one of the churches that he planted so uh, this church was planted in a huge city and i mean at the time it was estimated they have about a quarter of a million people living there which would have made it about the third largest city in the roman empire so if this was america that'd be like writing a church to that he planted in Chicago. Like that's, kind of the, that's kind of the scale of, the. Uh, this is not some small town in the, in the backwoods. This is a major metropolis in that area. And so with so many people living there and coming and going, it had naturally become a melting pot of all these different cultures. And with that, there are different religions in that. And uh, Pastor Scott showed us one of the major temples that was actually a wonder of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, that was there in Ephesus. And... Um, But, of course, we know that this giant temple, resources spent years and years to build, was built to a God who doesn't exist. A God that is not real. A pagan God. And so Paul is writing to this small church that he planted in this major metropolis with the sea of paganism all around them to encourage them in their new faith. So one thing to note, however, is, is that although Paul is writing to a specific church, Ephesus, this letter is written for all Christians. Even though it's written to a church, it's for all of us. Even us in the Christ today. Because, I mean, in fact, this letter was likely passed around to different churches throughout that time so that, so that they could also be encouraged by the words that Apostle Paul had written to that church at Ephesus. So, last week, we took the next two verses, moving from the shallow end of the pool, kind of just a greeting, and moving into really, really deep waters. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Man. After only two verses, Paul doesn't waste any time going in deep, does he? He he jumps right in. And one of the amazing themes that comes from these verses is the fact that God's love for us has spanned all of time. And um, actually, J.D. Greer, in, in a study that's, uh, that's actually available in Right Now Media that one of our gospel community groups is going through, he said this, there has never been a time in eternity where God did not know you and cherish you. What an amazing thought. I mean, does that not just well gratitude and joy up in your heart when you, when you hear those words? There has never been a time an eternity, where God did not know you and cherish you. That is good, good news. And then last week, Scott also mentioned that, that verse 3 actually starts a long thought from Apostle Paul. Actually, in the original language, it's one long sentence that lasts like 11 verses. And it's built like a song or a poem. As if Paul is writing a praise hymn for Jesus, right there in the book of Ephesians. That's that's the 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 kind of the the flavor of these words. It's almost like he's writing a praise song for Jesus, right there in Ephesians. And Paul, it seems like Paul just can't contain himself. He's just overwhelmed. Like he's pouring his heart out of gratitude and praise for his Savior Jesus and what He has done for him. And as Scott also pointed out. Uh, the debate over the words in love, and Aaron just read that, kind of tacked that on in the beginning of it, or, you know, and so some people are are team verse four, some people are team verse five, do we need to take a poll? No, no, we don't need to take a poll, but anyway, and and so if you're to ask me where do I think it lands, I'm going to give you the very diplomatic answer of, I honestly don't think it's that big a deal, and the reason I say that is, for one thing, um, verse numbers were not in the original text. So that's one thing, right? So those weren't added until centuries later. So uh, the verse numbers that you see are not inerrant words of Scripture or just the words themselves are. So it doesn't really matter kind of where it goes. But let's keep it. Let's see the forest through the trees on this one, okay? So what is this whole verse telling us? It's all a hymn to Jesus. It's all, Paul's just excited. So whether it's in love for verse four or in love for verse five, let's just all agree that we're just excited to love Jesus. Can we all agree on that? And we're we're excited that Jesus loves us. Amen? Okay, so let's continue to be excited because that's what it's ultimately telling us. And then lastly, Pastor Scott highlighted the focus of verses three and four, blessing. Because in these verses that he preached for us, we notice that blessing is mentioned not just once, not just twice, but thrice. Blessing is mentioned thrice times and they're in this verse. So that is the, the ultimate, the overarching goal of these verses is to see what a blessing we have in Jesus that he chose to save us. If that's a blessing, I don't know what is. And that was the ultimate goal of what Jesus chose uh, chose to do for it. And so today, we're going to look at this next part of Paul's excited song that he has written for us here in verses 4 and 5 that Aaron had just read for us. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved more good stuff, jam-packed into two verses. And as we look at verses five and six, we're going to break it down into three main areas, into adoption, purpose, and praise. So as we get ready to dive in, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Wow. I mean, just what do we say to that? When we look at ourselves, You chose to save me. That is unfathomable, God. God, thank you for choosing to look down at my mess and choose to die for that, for me, God. For the people in this room who have confessed and believed, God, thank you for choosing to save us. So God, as we we dig into these words of your Apostle Paul, God, please uh, allow us to hear what the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. God, I pray that you use these words to continue to soften the hearts of men and women sitting in this room who do not yet know you. God, let today be the day where you choose to bring them in as adopted sons and daughters of the King. And God, for those of us who are already part of your family, let this be an encouragement of yet another reminder of what you have so gloriously and selflessly done for us. God, look what you have done for us on the cross. We love you. We praise you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we're going to take this first part. He predestined us for adoption to himself through sons of Jesus, uh, through Jesus Christ. So, to be fair, I could stop right there and just this short part of the verse, and we could spend lots of time just on that verse. I mean, books and books and books have been written just on certain words in this, in this section. And... Um, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to, help again, help us see the forest through the trees on this one, okay? Because last week, Scott mentioned that we got to a word, the C word, right? What what word was that? He chose, right? Even as he chose us before him at the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, right? Well, today, we're not off the hook. Uh, We get yet another hotly contested word, this time the P word, which is what? Predestined. Okay, is anyone else doing this, shifting in their seats a little bit? Anyone else nervous? Okay, don't be nervous, y'all. Because guess what? Guess who wrote this book? God did. Right? He, guess what? He also wrote that word. So it's okay. And what we know is that God is a good God. He loves us. Look what he did for us. So we know that this is to edify us and to show us what he has done for us and how we are to glorify him more. Okay, so let's, let's go in with knowing that, okay? Let's go in knowing that. Let's, let's, let's not be nervous. It's okay. We're all going to do this together. But this word is one of the most hotly Debated doctrines in all of Christianity, so we need to address it, and, and it's understandable too, right? So it's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around when we when we consider this. In fact, I believe it's one of those things that falls into the Romans uh, to the Romans eleven thirty three uh, realm, which says how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. This is one of those things that I think is unfathomable to us. So so as we chase this bunny down this rabbit just this rabbit down this rabbit hole just a little bit. Um, I'm going to stop for just a second. I want us to take a quick poll, okay? Just to kind of level the playing field a little bit, just so we can see what we're saying here, okay? So, by show of hands, who in here is um, is a human? So there's I see some robots. Oh, so everyone's here, here. Okay, okay. One more time, humans. Okay. Now by show of hands, who in here is God? I was waiting for that one person to try, but. Okay, okay, one more time. I'm not sure I got this right. Humans? Okay, God? All right, okay, so first of all, don't at me. I know that God is here. We know that His Spirit is here with us, but He doesn't have a physical hand to raise right now, so I'm pointing out just the humans in the room, okay? So, so God had put that little pin there, right? Okay, so um, our, our busy judges in the back have been tabulating the results. And uh, let's see, how, how did it turn out? Oh, there you go. 100% of people in here are human, okay? So can we just agree that we're all human? Can we agree? Can we agree that none of us are God? Are we, are we on the same page, okay? We're on the same page, and notice. So, so there you have it. Everyone in this room that raised their hand is a human. So, so as humans, can we all agree that there's going to be some things that we just don't understand? Can we, agree that, can we agree on that? Okay, now this is crazy. Can we also agree that maybe there's some things that we are incapable of understanding because we are human and because we are not God? Are, we all, are, are, we, are you tracking with me? Okay, sorry, I had to pull Matt Chandler there a little bit. So, uh, so yeah, we all are not God. We all are human. We can agree that there are some things that are unfathomable to us. We are just not going to get it because our small brains just can't understand it. And I think we'd, we none of us in this room have a hard time admitting that, okay? So, so as we tread into these waters that are sometimes rocky, can we all go in with some humility? Can we do that? Okay, so that, that's, what we, that's all I'm asking as we, as we go out into this. So... So I mean is is there some lost subsection of Romans eleven thirty three that says, How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways, except Kevin, he figured it out and put it on his blog? Is that what it says? No. No, no, there's no Kevin out there that put it on his blog. No we we are unable to be doing this. So so let's let's continue to approach this with humility. And and honestly, some people they get uncomfortable uncomfortable around this topic because it can't fit into the small box we try to force it into. And that's what makes us uncomfortable. And that's understandable. Uh, A human, human nature, we want to understand things. But as we, uh, as we acknowledge that God is bigger than we are, that small box that we call our brains just isn't going to fit God in there. And it's okay. And so we, we, we're going to let God be God. Because here's the thing. God being God does not require your understanding. It just doesn't. Or mine or any of us. God being God does not require you to understand what he's doing. He's going to do what he's going to do. But we do know he's loving. We do see what he's done for us. So we do know he's good. So let's keep that in mind. So one of the things I want to make sure that we see that, although the P word is the second, uh, is the second verse in here, right, is uh, predestined, is the second word we have in here, it's actually not even the focus of this verse. This, although it kind of does freak people out when they get to it, the focus of this verse is what? What does it say that we're predestined for here in this verse? Adoption. So the focus of this verse is not predestined. The focus of this verse is adoption. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's the thing I want you to see in this is adoption. Now, that word is there. We're going to address it, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to walk over here. I'm going to put a pen in the P word, okay? Are you okay with that? This is my invisible blackboard. I'm putting a pen in the P word. I'm going to come back to it. Is everyone okay with that? I promise I'm coming back to it. I see it over there. It's staying there for a minute. I'll come back to it. But again, like I said, I want us to see the forest through the trees, so let's focus on primary before we talk about what's secondary and tertiary, okay? Is that fair? Because honestly, the, how people come to the Lord is one of those secondary things that we tend to argue about. But let's focus on what's primary in this verse before we talk about that. Is that fair? Okay, whether you think it's fair or not, that's what we're going to do. So here we go. But I'm the one talking, so you all get to follow me. So, um, But like I said, we're going to see the forest through the trees. with. So adoption is a huge deal. Y'all, for any of y'all who have adopted, the idea that God would choose to adopt us is bananas. Okay, it is it is crazy that God would choose to adopt me, or especially you. Okay, so okay, right? So right, the fact that God would choose to adopt us is insane. I mean, it's so crazy that he would, he would choose to do that. It's so great. I mean, does this verse say that he predestined us to, uh, to be his buddy, or that he predestined us to? Um, To be his Facebook friend? Or he predestined us to be his third cousin that we see every Christmas and Thanksgiving? No. It says he predestined us for adoption as what? Sons. Through Jesus Christ. I want you to pay attention to the closeness that Jesus is choosing to bring us into. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons which also means daughters too. He's using that generally, right? So sons and daughters. Adoption, then, just like today, has a legally binding meaning. As far as the law is concerned, there is no difference between a biological son and daughter or an adopted son or daughter. In fact, I was, uh, I was, I was talking to a father who's adopted before in the past, and he said that the agency that they worked with actually emphasized this very thing. Over the table, the, the agency looked right in the eyes and said, you realize this child that you are bringing in likely going to be included in your will. There's no separation between biological. Just to help them feel the weight of the decision they have in front of them. That's what we're talking about here. God, when looking at us Christians, didn't bring us in as guests, he, or at arm's length, he brought us into his family and into his home. Man, say that again. Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, God could have just given us a get-out-of-jail-free card and sent us on our way. But he didn't give us a card. He gave us himself. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? We don't worship a bare minimum God. We worship a God who gives us a life abundant and gave us himself. That is amazing. I want you all to see how amazing that is. He not only forgave us of our sin, by offering himself, which he was no, uh, under no obligation to even do that, by the way. He didn't have to do that. He could have just let us go the way of the angels and just, you know, whatever. But he didn't. He gave us himself. But then he also brought us near. He forgave us and brought us near. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So this begs the question, if God was no, under, under no obligation to do this, then why did he do it? This brings us to the next part of our phrase. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So this phrase, according to the purpose of the will, when we look at the original language, could also be pr- translated as to the good pleasure of his will. So it could be read like... Um, so it could be read... as." Uh, I'm sorry, got mixed up in my notes. So what we're talking about is what is the purpose of of him bringing us in, right? So if we have an adoption as sons and daughters, what is the purpose of him doing that? And we see that, if we read it with another translation, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. So that asks the question, why would God do this? Why would God do this if he was under no obligation to do so? Well, what we see in Scripture, it's a very simple answer, but it's amazing. Because he wanted to. He adopted us because he wanted to. I mean, it's a simple answer, but it's not a simple answer, right? He adopted us because he wanted to. That's amazing. Any parents in here, when you think about your kids... Do you ever do stuff for them just because you want to, just because you can? Just there's no other reason, just because you just want to love them a little bit. Because they're giving them that toy you said no to yesterday, but you're going to surprise them with it today. Any parents in here ever do that? Of course you do. And we see Jesus using these very these very examples that if you do that as a sinful person, what would our Father in Heaven do? As someone who is without sin. We know that if that's built in our hearts, we know that, that that love in our hearts comes from God at first. So, of course, He's going to do things like that for us. How amazing is that? It brings God pleasure to save those who can't save Himself. And so, to add some more color to this painting, uh, I want you to turn with me to the book of De- Deuteronomy, chapter 7. And we're going to pick up in verse 6. And so, um, but while you're tu- I'm sorry, uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse 6. And while you're turning there, I want to remind us that, so, and we say this often at Refuge. It's dangerous for us to form ideas about God from single verses or passages, okay? Just is. Don't do that, okay? Stop it, okay? Don't do that. <laughs> uh, we, it is our job to, to bring in the whole counsel of Scripture to, to round out our ideas of God. So we might read a certain verse, and it might give us an idea about God, but we need to make sure if that if our idea comes in conflict with something else we see in other parts of Scripture, it's not Scripture that's wrong? Who's wrong? This guy, okay? So that's why we allow Scripture to inform us but all of Scripture, not single verses. When, you, uh, when people tend to build ideas around single verses, you tend to form heresy. So, so don't do that, okay? Let's read all Scripture. That's why we're, we're going here to Deuteronomy chapter 7. So I'm going to pick up here in verse 6 to see some of the reasons for God's choosing in the past. Uh, so chapter 7, verses 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession, talking about the nation of Israel, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more number than any of the people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh King Egypt, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, and the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those, um, with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I'm going to stop right there. So if we look at God's choosing of his peoples as a case study on why he does the things he does, we see the same theme that we just saw here in Ephesians. He does things not because he's forced to, but because he wants to. Even here in Deuteronomy, God tells them that he didn't choose them because of their strength. In fact, what did he say? He said they're not strength. They're weak. They're not large in numbers. They're few in numbers. He's chosen them because he loves them, and he's keeping an oath to their forefathers. Now, some of you might say, okay, but why did he make that oath to his forefathers? Well, if you follow that line back, you see that he did that out of love, too. He chose the weak people that were usually pretty messed up, and chose to show his strength through who he chose, not because of anything they did. He does it simply because he wants to. And he wants to because he is glorious and because he loves us. That's the simple answer. And this leads us to our third and last part of our text this morning. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So this brings us to our last section, praise. Hang on, let me try that again. Praise, okay? We're, y'all, I think y'all forgot we're supposed to be excited, okay? Praise, this is, what we, this is what we're talking about. This whole verse is the beginning of Apostle Paul's excited hymn to Lord Jesus. We get to be excited. We don't have to be excited. We get to be excited because look what Jesus has done for us. This is exciting stuff, y'all, and we get to praise him every day for what he has chosen to do for us. So God chooses to adopt us as sons and daughters simply because he wants to and simply because he loves, to, loves uh, Simply because He loves us. If that doesn't fill your heart with praise for our king, you might need to check yourself, to be honest. God wants to save us not because of our strength, not because of our goodness, not because of our niceness, and not because God looked down the corridor of time and saw that you would pray some magic hamala prayer, okay? That's not what's going on, okay? That's not what's happening. And, and Scott it's, it's approached that a little bit last week, okay? That God's not looking down to see what you might do in the future. Because if that's the case, again, there's some other parts of Scripture that have a problem with that that we'll get into it in a minute. He chose to save us because He loves us and He is glorious. Period. And how did God do this? Again, regardless of how you approach the P word, Let's focus on what the text does say here. He adopted us through Jesus Christ. He adopted us through Jesus Christ. And our text ends with yet another reminder of how much of a blessing this is. He blessed us in the beloved, the beloved being Jesus. So again, he's pointing to the purpose, the ends, the means of how we bring the salvation, which is through Jesus. So do you feel the momentum of this praise of Paul as he's going, starting these verses, right? So we're, just, we're only three verses in of an 11-verse stretch of this praise song to Jesus. I hope you feel this momentum uh, that he's picking up as he's praising his king. Like he can't even keep it in. He's just word bonding everywhere about it. That's what it seems like. He just can't keep it in. Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins, a debt we couldn't possibly pay on our own. And no amount of goodness could force God to to want to bring us into his family. So let's make this clear. Let me make this clear. The Father chose to make us part of his family through what Jesus did on the cross, not through anything you have done. Okay? I want to say that again because I want to make sure because a lot of us say we believe that, but then we try to do a bunch of stuff that shows that we don't. So let me read that again. The Father chose to make us part of his family through what Jesus did on the cross alone, not through anything you have done or will do. Some say that God chooses the elect because he knows that one day they'll they'll confess and believe. But if God chooses you based on something you chose to say or believe, what do you do with what Paul says later in the same letter? So in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you'll read, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God." not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So if God, if, if, big if, if God chooses to save you because of something he sees that you will do later, do you not now have a reason to boast? Maybe a little, right? I'm one of the people that said yes. Not those people that said no. That's That's a reason to boast. It's a small one. It's a petty one, but it's one nonetheless. That's not what we're talking about. So, now that we're here, we're back to the, the, the P word. Let me take this P, the P pin, if you will. Let me take that out, okay? And, um, okay, we're back to the word, okay? It's in the text. We, this is one of the reasons we love expository preaching here at Refuge. It doesn't allow us to skip the hard stuff. But we get to talk about this. We don't have to talk about this. We get to talk about the word of God. What a great thing we get to do together today, amen? We get to talk about this. This is so, so cool. So I promise we we'll get back to it. Last week, Scott, he, Scott did a good job of helping us stand firmly and solely... On what we know to be true from Scripture. Because here, again, at a refuge, our job is simply to point you to this is to simply explain what God has already revealed to us. And He did a good job. So, so whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, Scripture is clear that God predestines some for salvation. There there's just not a way around it. it is, it is scripture is clear. Jesus himself said in John 6:44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now some might say, well, he draws me, but I'm the one that has to take a bite of that apple, right? The word used there that the, the Jesus used in John 6:44 is the same word about a starving man who finally finds a piece of bread. Are you going to choose not to eat that if you find that? You've been starving for weeks and you find that apple, you're telling me you're not going to take a bite? Of course you are. The Lord draws us near. But, Scripture is also clear that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? That is also true. So, it seems that we have somewhat of a paradox. That there is, we have one rail here of the sovereignty, pure sovereignty of God, the salvation of the the Lord, and we believe that at Refuge, we also see that there is responsibility of man. And somewhere on the horizon, those rails cross. It's not an either-or. We believe at refuge, it's a both-and. So we've sent, we spent some time in Deuteronomy this morning, and I want to show you something else that's in that same book that will actually help us in this conversation, which is in, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 29. I'm going to put it on the, on the screen for us so you don't have to turn there. The secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. So what this shows us is there are some secret things, secret hidden things about God that for whatever reason, he has chosen not to reveal to us. Some things that will always remain a mystery. And why? I don't know. He's God, I'm not. He gets to make those decisions, I don't. Honestly, is probably one of those things that even if he tried to explain it to me, <laughs> my little brain couldn't comprehend it anyway. Maybe yours could, but not mine. No, none of us could. <laughs> I don't think. That's that's where I stand on that. So so we're not gonna squabble about what he didn't reveal to us. Let us rejoice in what he did reveal to us. Amen. It would be like complaining that you don't have the right brand of canned meat on the floor over here when God has put a feast on the table in front of you. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Don't squabble about the canned meat on the floor. Okay? Let's, let's focus on what he has given us on the table. Um, J.D. Greer in that same study put it this way. Our responsibility is to receive and believe what God has revealed, not to sit around and try to figure out all the mysteries of what is hidden. Now, that might seem unfair... God to keep some things hidden from us, but let's remember, what percentage of us in here are God? You said, okay? Nobody. None of us are. It's his prerogative, but we do know that he's good. We do know that he is for us, and he is for his glory, and he loves us, and he gave us Jesus, okay? So let's not talk about what he didn't give us. He did give us himself, okay? So let's focus on what he did give us, not the little thing he chose not to talk about. But if you're asking what I think, where, where I believe Scripture points us to believe, uh, Paul Dacus shared a, a tweet with us that, um, that does a good job of summarizing how, how I and the other elders at the refuge approach this topic of predestination and God's sovereignty. It says, I believe in a God who actually saves whom he intended, not a God who died to save all but failed. I think that does a good job of kind of encapsulating where this argument tends to boil down to. So, In other words, what God did not do. So this isn't what God did, okay? He didn't make a world, make it all pretty, gave it to us, and then humans came along and messed it up, and then God had to scramble to figure it out to fix it, okay? Do you think that's the God we serve? First of all, we're not that powerful, okay? And I'll be honest with you, I think it's insulting to think that God is that small and that God is that weak because he's not. In other words, Jesus wasn't plan B because we messed up God's plan A. We are not that powerful. So like I I mentioned earlier, in Romans, we learn that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died to do something we couldn't do for ourselves, and God did it freely to demonstrate his unfathomable love for us. So we may never know how to circle the square, okay? That's just, that's just where we're at. And we have to be okay with that. Because again, none of us are God, but God is. So we're just not going to know. We know that both are true. It's an both and, not an either or. But we're probably not going to figure it out. Not even on Kevin's blog, okay? So none of us are. But here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad thing to discuss the intricacies of our faith. It's not. Healthy, brotherly debate... We talk about a lot here at Refuge of we can disagree without being disagreeable. It's okay for us to talk about these things. And honestly, here at Refuge, where, whatever, whatever um, side of the spectrum you land, you're welcome here. You're, you're not going to go through some test of making sure that you're strongly on this side and not this side before we let you into our church family. Both you're, everyone is welcome here for that. As long as you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you're in. Okay? We, we would love to have you as part of our church family. That's what we stand on. But, If you're spending more time debating the secondary things like predestination than you are sharing the simplistic gospel, the gospel that God has made clear with your neighbor, then you're missing the point. If you spend more bandwidth on squabbling about these small things than you are telling your neighbor about the good news of Jesus, you're wasting your time. Because they don't need to hear about your views on predestination. They need to hear the good news that Jesus saves sinners. Okay? So let's make sure we make first things first so we don't major in the minors. So what's the point of all this? While God may have chosen to keep hidden the mysteries of predestination versus human responsibility, what he did reveal was the greatest mystery of all. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. If You were anything like me in college. You went through a phase in your faith where you love to live in the weeds of these secondary and tertiary um, issues of the faith. Predestination being one of them. But that is why what J.D. Greer went on to say was so cutting to my heart. It is arrogance and disobedience to sit around debating nuances of theology when simple obedience is what is required. Obedience to what? Share your faith. And let your heart be filled with gratitude. Because that's what this should do. This excitement should fill your heart with gratitude for a king who has done something that you cannot do for yourself. That's what we're hoping this does. So be obedient to what he has made clear. Let's not squabble about the things he hasn't. Agreed? So there's a lot of mysteries to our faith. Let's focus on what has been revealed to us, which is, We are all sinners, all of us, even you. (laughs) Our sin separates us from God. We are incapable of paying off our own sin debt. Jesus' death on the cross paid that debt for those who believe. And his resurrection proves that he is God and put our sin to death forever. Through Jesus' sacrifice, Christians have been made right with God. So don't let the P word scare you. Come and be adopted by the king. So regardless of how you believe someone comes to Jesus, everyone who wants to must confess that he is Lord and believe in their hearts that he was raised from the dead. So what I urge you to do that we can all agree on, no matter where you land on this subject, confess and believe. Confess and believe, please. Notice that Romans 10.9 doesn't just say Confess but also to believe. Because what's what's been heavy on my heart for a long time as one of your pastors is I believe that there are a lot of people in our culture, probably many people who are in this room who are really good at the first part but are not good at the second part. And you might be saying, well, not me. <laughs> it's definitely not me. In, in James, we read that Your works are evidence of your faith. So if you examine your life and you see that there is no evidence that you have been made new by Jesus, then perhaps you are the person that's really good at the first part but not good at the second part. Maybe you are only confessing but you don't really believe. That might be you. If that scares you, I trust that that is a prompt of the Holy Spirit right now for you to dig in. Don't run away from it. Us, especially as Americans, we're really good about getting those things that make us uncomfortable and just burying them, putting them behind us. If, If you're scared that maybe you're one of the people that confess but don't believe, I'm not saying that to bring condemnation on you. I'm bringing that that maybe today is one of the days where you get to praise. Because maybe today is a day where you are finally being drawn near to the Father to be adopted into His family. Maybe today is that day where you finally understand the second part. That you're not just confessing, that you are also believing. There has never been a time when God didn't know you and cherish you. We're all sinners. But because of God's immense love for us, he sent his son to die on the cross for humanity. God is inviting you into his family. He is. If you're already there, rejoice. This is exciting. Look what Jesus has done for us. He adopted us into his family. And all we have to do is confess and believe. Confess and believe. It's no wonder that that Apostle Paul was having a hard time keeping his excitement in as he was reading this long verse, this long praise song that he had written to Jesus. Because this is unbelievable. But it's true. Let me pray for you.